encountering the texture of the text of God's Word, text and context. We're over here. <laughs> Yeah, I saw him peek in here before they started knocking. It's okay. Please forgive. We'll make a special exception. Yeah. Oh, well, good evening, everybody. So glad to see you. Um, I am still in the book of Leviticus, but for my Church of Christers, don't worry, I'm not reusing a lesson. Uh, because I'm only preaching seven sermons from Leviticus at the Church of Christ on Sunday mornings. And this Sunday is my seventh and last one. I know, Jerry, only seven. It could have been at, at least double, if not more. Uh, but I thought, you know, for, their, for everybody's sake, I would, you know, not torture them too much. But uh, so that means that tonight I'm going to talk about something in Leviticus that I won't have a chance to talk about on Sunday morning. So for my Church of Christers, you just get a little extra. Just get, you just get the extra, and then you can tease everybody else and tell them how much they missed out. So, um, There is something really beautiful about honoring vows and promises and commitments that you've made to somebody. Um, it can be small things or big things. It can be as small as if I tell Hannah, I'm going to do the dishes today, I promise, doing them. I better do them. It's a small thing, but if I say I'm going to do them, and especially if you add that little I promise, that's one of those I have to say something extra because simply saying I'm going to do the dishes, she might not believe me. Did you catch that? You got to say the I promise or no, I mean it or no, seriously, like for real, for real, for real. real. Yeah. Jesus says something about this this very behavior, Micah. He says, um, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Don't be the kind of person that has to say, no, but I swear by heaven's throne or by my own head or by Jerusalem. No, instead, let your yes be yes and your no be no. But also notice he doesn't say, though, don't ever take an oath at all. Actually, he says, do not take an oath. But he's not saying don't ever swear. Um, Let me back up. He said, do not swear an oath at all. But that's not the same as not taking a vow necessarily or making a promise. You can still make vows and promises. Those are good. He says, don't take an oath or swear an oath, which is really, I think the difference there is I swear by. You have to add those things in order to to sound legitimate whenever you haven't kept your word. Um, Don't worry. I will do the dishes when I get home tonight. But um, on a much bigger scale, I also married Hannah, and I took a vow. We call them marriage vows, right? Like those are, those are like, it's an important word. It's a vow. It's a promise that we've made. And if, if I keep that, that's, that's really an important thing. And if keeping vows and promises and commitments are a good and beautiful thing with our friends and family and our marriages, how much more so would it be in our relationship with God? And that's actually what the last chapter of Leviticus is all about, believe it or not. It's about making vows to God, Leviticus chapter 27. It's the last chapter of Leviticus, and it's actually kind of problematic because the chapter is kind of an appendix. You know what an appendix is, right? Not the one in your body, the one in a book. You know this, right? An appendix is that thing at the end. It's like you get to the end of the book, and then there's some additional material that's like, hey, Something that we talked about that we couldn't spend as much time on, usually, right? 
And the reason you know this, if you pay really close attention to the narrative flow of Leviticus, and yes, Leviticus has narrative flow. If you pay really close attention to the narrative flow of Leviticus, chapter 26 is like the climax. It's this grand, glorious, beautiful ending. And if you finished at chapter 26 at the very end, you'd be like, that was a great ending. I'm pumped. I'm ready for numbers. And then you have chapter 27. If it's like this glorious cathedral, well-built and structured. And then chapter 27. And some people are kind of bothered by this. Some interpreters and readers of scripture are kind of like, oh no, it's like there's an appendix to Leviticus. I'm delighted by the fact that there's an appendix. I think it's awesome because I think it's interesting for a couple of reasons. One of them being there's just always more with God, isn't there? And every time you think he got it kind of, everything squared away, he says, well, but wait, there's more. God invented, but wait, there's more. That didn't belong to the infomercials belongs to our God. But also, holiness isn't perfection on this side of eternity. It's always going to be just a little bit off. It's going to be like, this is grand, and this is glorious, and this is good. And then chapter 27. There's always going to be that little appendix, that little asterisk next to it. And as my friend Steve Ditton told me on Sunday, whenever the Minionites build a building, they purposefully make sure there's some small imperfection in the building. On purpose. Because it's a reminder that nothing this side of eternity is ever really going to be perfect. So this is kind of that little quirk in the building, if you will, inspired by God himself, nonetheless. But it's a wonderful little chapter, this little postscript, this PS. And uh, read chapter 26 sometime, by the way. It's a great chapter. All the blessings and curses. If you keep this law, you will be blessed. And if you don't, you will be cursed. And then it ends with this grand crescendo, like... The Lord spoke all these things to Moses at Mount Sinai. And then it keeps going. Um, And we're going to read some of that in just a minute. uh, From Leviticus 27. So before we read some of it, though, I want to tell you this. As far as the content of chapter 27, it's dealing with what's called votive offerings. Which is just a real fancy way to say it's something that you dedicate to God. You vow it to him. And so you can vow or dedicate all sorts of things to God. You can dedicate people. You can dedicate animals, you can dedicate houses, property, all sorts of objects. And so it spends the first half of the chapter kind of talking about things that you can uh, dedicate to God that are animate, so people and animals. And then it spends the next part talking about other things you can dedicate to God that are inanimate, so objects, houses, property. And then it gives a list of things that it says you can't offer these either way. And that's the chapter. Wonderful, right? All things that you were like, yes, this is what I wanted to learn about on Wednesday night. But it's interesting, and especially the section about dedicating a house to the Lord, I just find really interesting. And I think it's the easiest section to kind of get our minds to get a flavor for what this chapter is talking about. So I want to read this section. It's in Leviticus 27, and it's starting in verse 14, 14 and 15. When someone dedicates a house as sacred to the Lord, that phrasing is wonderful. I chose this Bible translation specifically because I like the way it says that. When someone dedicates a house as sacred to the Lord, the priest shall determine its value in keeping with its good or bad qualities, and the value set by the priest shall stand. A person dedicating a house who then wishes to redeem it shall pay one-fifth more than the price thus established, and then it will again belong to that individual. Okay, did you catch that? Yes. Okay, so here's the thing. It sounds weird because uh, we have really poor biblical theological imaginations – Um, But lean in and think about it this way. 
It's basically as if you're putting your house on the altar, but you can't put your house on the altar to offer as a sacrifice to God because it's a house and that would be weird and impossible. And they didn't have those big trucks that move like the mobile homes and things, you know, that stop up traffic. They don't. They didn't have those back then. But imagine you could put your house on the altar and say, my house is yours, God, do with it what you will. That's what they're doing. The priest comes by and says, I put it at about, and they do like an appraisal. Okay, I put it at, put a price on it. And then they say, okay, great. You pay that to the Lord. They take the house and now it's an offering to him. You put your house on the altar. Isn't that cool? And that's in Leviticus nonetheless. And get this, you can do it with people. You can do it with animals. You can do it with objects. You can do it with all sorts of stuff. You can offer them as service to the Lord. But what's really cool is I would think that like you would give them the house and then you don't live in it anymore. We've offered it to the Lord, right? Like if you, I don't know, had an extra car and gave your car to the church or something. But it seems like they're still living in the house. Now get this. Now use your biblical theological imaginations for this one. Doesn't Paul say this thing in Romans? Offer your bodies, therefore, as a living sacrifice. Huh. What if there was a way, because Israelites are not going to be practicing human sacrifice. In fact, they're kind of unique in the ancient world for that. They don't ever offer humans, especially not babies, which some other cultures around them did. But could you say symbolically, Lord, my life is on the altar and I'm yours? Maybe you could. Maybe you could be a living sacrifice. I'm pretty sure Paul says something about that in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. I, I, I think it's in there somewhere. I don't know. Maybe I'm making it up. I love it. The ancient Israelites could dedicate their houses, their animals, their belongings, their property, and even themselves as sacred to the Lord. And what's even more fascinating to me is they can offer them and then continue to use them. I offer myself but I don't have to stay in the temple. But everywhere I go, I'm offered to the Lord. It's interesting. We actually have an example of what it looks like to offer a person in this way. Do you remember uh, Hannah prayed for a child to the Lord? And she said, if you give me a child, I will dedicate him to you. And she did. Samuel, who has first and second Samuel named after him, who was one of Israel's greatest prophets ever. And he was, he was dedicated to the Lord. He lived right there in the temple. Um, which seems like an even more exceptional and special way that he was dedicated to the Lord. And this is also kind of part of what Jesus is getting on to the Pharisees about in that one weird story in Mark chapter 7. Do you remember this story in Mark 7 where he's getting on to the Pharisees because they are not taking care of their parents? And they say, well, I would take care of my parents, but the money that I would use to take care of my parents has been dedicated as korban to the Lord. Do you remember that? It has that weird word, korban? Have you heard this before? That's kind of what he's getting at. Korban is just the Hebrew word for offering. Well, I've offered it to the Lord. So, And Jesus actually says there, well, actually, um, actually what you've done is you've made void the word of God. You've ignored the real intention of what was going on there, and you think you found yourself a little holy loophole. But actually the whole point was now it's dedicated to the Lord, so actually all the more, therefore, you should take care of your parents in their old age. So, boom. That's what they call a roast. Yeah. So they think they get this loophole taking care of their parents. That's, this is the kind of stuff Jesus was talking about. I've offered a discorbon to the Lord, so can't take care of my parents. So apparently there was this interesting practice in the ancient world where you put that out there. So on the one hand, a weird way to end the book of Leviticus, right? You go through all these beautiful chapters. Yes, they're beautiful. 
Leviticus is wonderful. You go through all these beautiful chapters, and then you have this glorious crescendo that's like this beautiful renewal of the covenant in chapter 26, where it's like, keep these laws and you'll be blessed, or don't, and you'll be cursed. And these are the words that the Lord spoke to Moses. And then you get an appendix. But on the other hand, it's also a great way to end Leviticus because, because it's talking about offering and dedicating all the little spears of your life to the Lord. It's saying, yeah, you know, we did all the offerings and we, you know, like taught you in great detail how to slaughter a goat and, then, and a bull and put these on the altar and burn these pieces and do this and do that. And then also make sure you don't wear a shirt that has multiple kinds of clothing and don't plant. And we went through all the rules and regulations, but at the end of the day, hey, you're the thing that's actually being sacrificed. Your entire household is the thing that's actually being sacrificed. Don't you love that? What a great way to end the book of Leviticus. And that's something I could get interested in, actually. I think I could find myself getting interested in that. So on the one hand, a really weird way to end what is the central book of the Torah. But on the other hand, a great way to end what is the central book of the Torah. Did you know that um, Leviticus is the title of the book? It comes from the Septuagint. Have you heard of the Septuagint before? I love the Septuagint. Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament which the early Christians read Greek, not Hebrew, so that they would have read in the Greek, and it was called Leviticus. In Hebrew, they name it after the first word in the book, and the first word in the book in Hebrew is Vayikra, which is a great title because it means, and he called. And he called. And, either or, and, he, God, called. Hey, hey, called. Yeah. What a weird name for a book, right? I'm glad we don't use that practice anymore of naming a book after the first word in the book. But that is the first word in Leviticus. And he called. The he refers to Yahweh. And the person he's calling to is Moses. And in fact, if you read that whole thing, it says Yahweh called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. Which if you remember, I told you a while back. And some of you probably weren't here, but I said a while back something so brilliant, but that Leviticus is about how to go from making it a tabernacle, which is just a tent, to a tent of meeting, a place where conversation happens between you and God. Ah, and he called from the tent of meeting. And then now here we are at the end, and it's, let's just go ahead and dedicate your life as an offering. Everywhere you go, you're being constantly offered on the altar. We'll do that with your house and your animals and your property. We'll just do it with the whole thing. When I told Hannah what I was talking about tonight, and I was kind of talking through some of this with her, I said, let's offer the dog. It's an offering live to the Lord. She said, okay. I told my dog she was now Yahweh's property. She didn't seem very moved by it. I, I don't know why. What'd you say? Would the priest have praised the dog? Yeah, they would. We didn't have a priest. I'll take her to John later. He's busy right now. Yeah. What a great way to end the book, though. Because God calls to Moses from the tent of meeting. And then now here at the end, it's basically saying, hey, why don't I go ahead and continue to position my life so that I can hear you when you call again? Why don't I go ahead and structure my life so that it's continually a place of meeting with God, a place of conversation with God? That'll preach. And then uh, hear what Paul says in Romans 12, 1 and 2, but hear it from the message because it's just oh, excellent. So 
here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. Place your ordinary, going around, walking around, eating, sleeping, Changing diapers, life, and place that before God. Yeah, Jerry, what were you going to say? That, that really is huge mm-hmm. in, in the Christian walk. I'd say, I dare say most people don't even come close to realizing that, right? Yeah. yeah. Just washing the dishes is a holy act. Oh, certainly. Right. Well, certainly. Washing the dishes is a holy act. Changing diapers is a holy act. Doing good business well is a holy act. Being a good manager is a good and holy thing. Playing good music is a good and holy thing. All the jobs that I see represented in this room are good and holy things that need to be done well by good, God-fearing people. It's a good thing. I'm so glad that I have my job, but I'm also jealous of all of you. You get to interact with other people all day long. I have been ending my sermons on Leviticus by talking about practices that we can have to inhabit a sacred world. Um, Because this isn't about trying harder, it's about training smarter. Um, This isn't just, well, try harder. It's about training smarter to put ourselves in a position where we can hear the call of God on a more regular basis. And so specifically thinking about ways we can put our life as a dedication before God in those little ways, kind of like Leviticus 27 talks about. uh, I would first say, consider a house dedication or blessing. I love this idea. This can be formal or informal, but I remember hearing one mentor of mine talk about how he um, heard a lady say that she would every day at nap time go pray over her child's room. And I loved that. That just really kind of captured my imagination. And I found this prayer, this a dedication prayer in this little prayer book that I have. It's free online, too. I can point it to you, point you to that. But it has a house blessing. And then it has like different areas like at the doorway, in the entrance or foyer, in the living room, in the kitchen. Let's see. There's one I was going to read. For a guest room, for a bedroom, for the bedroom of a single person, of a married couple, of a young child, of an older son or daughter. I mean it gets kind of specific uh, at the door. I like the one for a young child because that's relevant to me right now. Um, There's a part that you say together and then a part that you say it. Just one of you. So one part says, Peace be in the name of the King of life, the peace of Christ above all peace, the Lord's blessing over you. And then this, They say nothing is given birth without pain. I have a secret joy in thee, my God, for if thou art my father, thou art my mother too. And of all thy tenderness, healing, and patience, there is no end at all. I pray for, insert name, name, may the joy and peace of heaven be with you, the Lord bless you. Isn't that good? You can, I'll point you to that. That's online. And if you, uh, Jerry, will you go to the next slide for me? Uh, if you scan that barcode, it's, there's a link on our site that you can find with that. Uh, or I can just tell you. But um, I love stuff like that. Praying over the space, dedicating the space of our house to the Lord and saying, this is going to be yours. We did that for the property here. Did you really? We went to each corner of the property and prayed over the... I love that. That's such a, that, that's dedicating it as sacred to the Lord. I love stuff like that. I think you used it. 
<laughs> yes. Oh, absolutely. No, in ways you had no idea. Many people struggle, you know, going to their daily jobs every day, you know, especially mm. with Mondays, you know, and, and knowing that when I stop breaking down the wall between what that which is sacred and that which is, yes, you know, secular. Exactly. Yeah. There's no knowing that when I go into that workplace, that I dedicate this place. Yes. To you, Bob, yes. That the peace that you have committed to me resides here. Yes. What we yes. It, it changes. It changes perspective oh, yeah. on my job. That Make my, a prayer practice whether, out of that. Whether yeah. you're building Empire State buildings or you flipping hamburgers, that mm. place you're called of God in that right. place. Where you That's are. right. Yeah. There's a. This makes me think of uh, an old legend. I don't know if it's actually true or not. It's one of those things where you never really know. But it was about the famous reformer John Calvin, and somebody came up to him. He was a baker. And the baker comes up to John Calvin after he's done preaching some great revival or something. And he's like, Mr. Calvin, what could I do to glorify God? And he said, well, what do you do? He said, well, I'm a baker. And he said, bake great bread. (laughs) I love that. Bake great bread. Flip great burgers. Right? Build good whatever it is. I don't... I was going to do the Empire State Building thing, but then I kind of lost my... Build a good building. Yeah. yeah. Whatever it is that God puts in front of you, do it. And dedicate it to him. Pray, God, I want you to take this space. Like, what if every day as you walked through the door to your workplace, there was a prayer, just a small one, that you had to dedicate that space or hopped on Zoom, even. That could work, too. Did you raise your hand? Oh. Uh, that scripture that says... In all that you do, word or deed, do it for the name of the Lord. I love that. Yes, everything, including our workplaces and our homes. Dedicate the space. Let the space be sacred to God. And there really is something I think that we can appreciate about like desecrated space. Have you ever been to like a place where a great tragedy has occurred and they have a memorial there? Do you feel the like heaviness of that space? I do. I feel it in my soul. Why? Because that space has been violated. But by putting that monument there, what they're attempting to do is to say, we're going to resurrect hope where the world has had death. We're going to resurrect a monument to life and to, to hope and beauty and goodness. I mean, it's, it's very beautiful. We had a family that was moving into a new house, and some stuff had gone on in that house before, mm. uh, just behavior stuff. And um, they moved in, and went out there and prayed in every room and, and just, you know, re- recovered it and redeemed it. Yes. I love that. I think there's something to be said for that. Absolutely. I mean, I may not be splashing holy water on it or anything, but it's like, <laughs> hey, I, I'm all for praying a blessing over those spaces and saying, God, this is going to be for you. There is something about that. Right? We do that for uh, our homes out on the ranch. You know, we clear up. We, because when the girls are coming in, they're coming with stuff. Mm. We want them to come in. Or there have been things that happened there. Clear that house out. Yes. So we may worship that. We do whatever. But we recognize this house, this property, God, this is yours. Mm-hmm. So. I love that. I think that's a beautiful, sacred imagination to say um, this space has been violated in some way. We're going to rededicate it to you. And I, I think there's so much to be said there. Um, another practice I'd recommend is table blessings. Um, more than saying a prayer before the meal, right? Like I'm in favor of a prayer before the meal, but I really think blessing is the key word, blessing. Um, and I like the word blessing. I really would be a fan if like the whole family like said it together in unison. And it, it you know, probably doesn't need to be this like super long involved thing, but just something simple. So one that you've surely heard before and one that I really like, one I'm trying to implement in my house right now. 
God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. By his hands, we are all fed. Give us, Lord, our daily bread. Amen. I like that. Just kind of speak it all together. Because I feel like the more that you say those kind of things repetitively, it gets down in your heart and soul, and you can say it without thinking about it. And that's a good thing because now it's, it's in there. It's, that's the magic of things like jingles and commercials. They learn how to do something catchy and then just kind of stick it in there. Let's do that in a holy way. Right. Or uh, another one that I really like, Lord, bless the food before us, the family around us and the faith that unites us. Amen. I like that. I, was, I don't know where I think the Catholics, big fans. you know, have good stuff. They have those. That those yes. Prayers, yes. Those. Yeah. Every denomination and branch of the Christian faith has something good to bring to the table. And one thing that we miss out on in the non-denom world is that like the repetition and we can be like, oh, the repetition's bad. It's cold. And I'm like, I don't know, though. Because whenever people hear scripture and they just say the word of the Lord and they just, it just pops in their brain, I'm like, I think that's a holy thing. That they, it just, it's an automatic response. You're, you're retraining your body and your mind and your soul for goodness. Think, think about it. When, when it comes to communion, Jesus said, as often as you do it. Yeah. There'll be some repetitions every Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. As often as you do this. Assuming it's going to be frequent. Yeah. And there's something to be said for uh, like there, there can certainly be rituals that become dead ritual. And so they don't really have any life to them. But you can you can have some some core parts of it that are like deep and central and then still spice it up, if you will, um, I think. And the funny thing is, like, I come from a tradition that says we have no liturgy. <laughs> OK, we do. It's just not written out. Right? We end up doing a lot of the same things in a lot of the same ways. It's just not formally written yeah, out. Separate and apart from the Se- that little phrase, separate and apart from, after you do communion in Church of Christ, you then say, separate and apart from the Lord's Supper. We're now going to take an offering, and you do the offering. That phrase, I swear to you, I can walk into any Church of Christ in the nation and say that phrase, and everyone goes, oh, yeah. Because it's just like, it's this thing, but we have no liturgy. But we have no liturgy, right? And I'm like, well, we just have an informal liturgy. We fall into those same patterns naturally. Why don't we do it on purpose and do it to the glory of God? And of course, we're going to do some, some mix-up in there. But the mix-up is whenever we're feeling more intentional. So, hey. uh, Table blessings. Big fan. I think it's great. Redeem the table. Uh, prayer walking. Uh, I'm mindful of this uh, with the, uh, the revival stuff going on. And the, they're marking the... Uh, the streets that you've prayed on. That's a great idea. Really what they're doing, it's, it's similar to, um, it's similar to like how Israelites would, uh, dedicate the land of Canaan and then, you know, slaughter the inhabitants. It's like that, but in a less violent way, (laughs) but really what you're doing, it's, it's like a spiritual battle though, isn't it? You, You really are saying like, Lord, whatever forces of darkness lie in this house, we, we speak the name of Jesus over that. And we want this house for the Lord, whoever's in there, whatever, whatever family is residing there. We want them in the Lord, right? That's a holy thing. That's, that's spiritual warfare too. And so I, I think there is something to be said for that in the prayer walking sense of walking the space. I'm reminded of the Battle of Jericho where they walk around the walls seven times. Walk around your neighborhood seven times. This is God's. This is his. We're giving this to him. And pray that. It, it's a really, it, it's, it's interesting. We sometimes over-spiritualize things, right? But there's a very thick physicality to our faith. There needs to be. We have very real emblems for our communion, bread and wine, fruit juice. 
uh, bread and fruit juice, right? Like we, we have the, um, the very physical, tangible elements, and that's on purpose. It's not just like, well, there's bread in your heart. That ain't going to fly. I need something to chomp on, right? Well, it's the same in our faith. We're praying for this city. Great, walk the city, right? Like I, I love that idea. Um, or even, um, you know, similar to, to praying over your house. I'm thinking of it the same way I talk about saying these prayers over each room in the house. Pray at the neighborhood. So at the entrance to the neighborhood, you know, a brief prayer at the mailboxes. And don't overthink it. Like, you don't need a 20-minute prayer per mailbox, okay? That would be ridiculous. Unless you just got the time for it, great. But Did John share with you what happened with the Catholic Church and the, and the tent out there? No. What happened with the Catholic Church so and the tent out there? You got a text, you got a text yesterday that one of the ministers there at Ascension had gone over to where the tent's at, prayed for like 30 minutes, walked and sprinkled water around I on love the property it. and committed it to the Lord. I love that. Is that not something? I love oh, that. Man. that that's I had no talking. prior knowledge of this talking. before speaking. Right. You're talking. <laughs> this is unprecedented. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Yeah. Okay. That, that means that's how yes. God's doing something. I like that. Yeah. This, yeah. I like that. This is where transformation yeah. gets a city and things, that's good. families are blessed because people bless the city. You know, it's funny. Directly across from that is the auto shop at Walmart. And I was getting new tires put on on Saturday. And I was reading uh, a book because I'm a nerd. And But as I was reading, I was thinking, if these truths, as brilliantly articulated as they are, don't mean something for the mom with her kid who needs a haircut who she's sending on errands to go get groceries because she's trying to keep him busy while she's waiting for her oil change. It doesn't have anything to say to, if it's not good news for her, it's not good news for anybody. And then that dude over there, who's kind of creepy, but probably just socially awkward, sitting over there also waiting. If it's not good news for him, it's not good news for any of us. I just kind of went through and saw these extremely ordinary people, and then me sitting there, and I'm thinking, if it's not good news for them, it's not good news for anybody. And I was just kind of praying, Lord, I'm looking for an ordinary gospel. Um, The big and the grand and the glorious things happen through slow, ordinary moments. Jesus was the most important figure to ever live, and the dude was not in a hurry. He was not in a hurry, and he didn't really think big. He really thought pretty small. Twelve disciples. There were some others. That was really the core group. And even then, he had three inner circle that he really, really, really spent time with. Um, it's 30 years preparing for his ministry and then three years and then dead. Interesting. Not the way we tend to think about it. We've got to hurry, we've got to hurry, we've got to do this. Ah, I don't think we do. Right? It's the ordinary moments that are going to lead to the big moments. I, don't know. I think of that little that Catholic priest or minister doing the... That's a small little thing, but that he went out of his way to do that. It's ordinary space. It's just a field. Right? It's just a field. How many times have we driven by the field? How many times have we mowed that field? It's just a field. But small moments. Uh, last one, because I know it's time. Practice Lent. You do know that Ash Wednesday is a week from today. Did you know that? You do now. Ash Wednesday is a week from today. Uh, Lent is historically a time in the Christian faith. It's the 40 days from Ash Wednesday to Maundy Thursday, which is the Thursday before Good Friday, which is the Friday before Easter. Good. 
Um, it's uh, the 40 days leading up to it, and it's a, day, it's a time of repentance and sacrifice and fasting. Um, so you may not fast from food, per se, but what can you fast from that's getting in your way and distracting you from God? Um, you don't have to go to a formal Ash Wednesday service, though it'd be great if you did. They're really impactful. Um, it's Ash Wednesday, I believe. Micah, help me. They put ashes that have yes, from burned palm trees from Jerusalem, and they stamp it on your forehead, right? Well, I don't know if it's all from Jerusalem. That seems like oh. it would be, which is going to be impossible. Oh, okay. The palms from the year before. Oh. Oh, palms they from the year before. Yeah, they save them, then they burn them. That's the ash they put on your forehead. Okay. But they do put ash on your forehead still. Okay, yeah. And so it's the cross. Ryan and I would go to the Lutheran church. Okay, do they do that? Do they do that still? Maybe you can hook me up. I'm looking for Ash Wednesday. We'll talk later. But uh, yeah, pra- consider practicing Lent. It's a great time of 40 days. 40 days because Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days, 40 nights leading up to. And it's, it's really a time of repentance as we look forward to Resurrection Sunday, as we look forward to that moment of rising uh, uh, to new life and to say, what, what are we doing now to put to death the old life? And that can often be kind of a slow and painful process, maybe 40 days in the wilderness. Um, so yeah, uh, don't overthink it. You don't have to give up meat. I know that's one thing that a lot of like formal traditions do. You could give up um, TV. That'd be a great one. Sugar. Sugar. I know that one's like nearly impossible, but uh, there's all sorts of things. But think about what what is getting in my way and what is distracting me from really having that deeper relationship with God and fast it. Can you do 40 days? Phones? Yeah, phones, all the way. And even if you need your phone for your job, there's ways around that. Uh, please delete Facebook off your phones. Please. Destroying us. Anyway, um, let me end with this. Your life is fertile soil for God's presence. Your house is fertile soil for God's presence. Your car has the potential to be a roving sanctuary. People of God, it's time to seek the presence of God in all those places and to turn them into not just a car or a house or a life or anything else, but into a tent of meeting, into a place where we can have that conversational life with God, with Yahweh, the creator of all things. Let me pray and we'll be done. Our Father in heaven, we give you thanks and praise. Thank you for all of the good things that you give us. Thank you for those that are here today. Thank you uh, for the fun and fellowship and food that we have had. Thank you for the faith that unites us together. Thank you for the laughter and thank you for the new insights thank you for all the good that has come from tonight. Um, We just pray that it would be all to your glory. May we be a people who are aflame with your presence in all things. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.